Welcome to Take a Walk, a podcast that happens outside, with your host, Vanessa Gritton. Hey, you're listening to Take a Walk Podcast. I think I'm finally nailing this intro thing. Quick housekeeping. Thank you so much to everybody that showed up to the fastball show this week. I can finally say... (laughs) I legitimately kind of opened for fastball. Uh, also, thank you to James Hill for bringing us cookies. They were fantastic. Uh, and whoever the guy was that gave me a stick it wall- sticky wallet phone case, I see you and appreciate you. Getting right into it, I'm very excited for our guests that we have today. This is a little bit of an impromptu episode, and we're recording in their backyard. Please welcome Kyle Clark and Natalie Hazen. Hello. Hi, guys. Uh, that you might recognize from the This Is Rad podcast that I will also be on Which we also recorded record. Hey, guys, we're right efficient. That's all that matters. <laughs> I hope a bat startles me on this one, too. <laughs> that was a real loud bat. Yeah, I truly wish you could have been at the fastball show. I'm, uh, I, I'm so bummed that I did not find out about it until hours before it was happening and I already had places to be. And it was a perfect tapestry of things Kyle will I, like. I legitimately like the band Fastball. It was Fastball, a lot of free snacks outside, uh, and it was across the street, uh, but down some from the Black Dolly house. Oh shit. So I'm just so jealous. A whole bunch of magic uh, all at once. What a beautiful, dumb thing. <laughs> <laughs> this network is beautiful, dumb things, and I love That's, it. Oh man. It's... it's the unpops, you guys make weird miracles that shouldn't happen. I can't wait to see who we harass next. <laughs> Look out, Joan Osborne. Vitamin C, you're playing in my condo. <laughs> Hashtag vitamin C at Vanessa's pool. Uh, I don't know. I have. I just wanted to play graduation one time and then go home because... You mean the song Friends Forever. Graduation parentheses. These friends, friends forever. forever. Friends forever. I love when an artist like aggressively creates a song where like, well, hopefully this will just get played at all of these events and <laughs> I'll live on forever. It's like it's on if I could just make my own happy birthday. Yeah. Last week we did some stuff about Florida and this week we are jumping back into Los Angeles, which is a place very special to the both of you, and that is Meltdown Comics. Yeah. My 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 other home. I've only been there. I've been there to record a podcast and a few other times. You've done the uh, mic before. I haven't done the mic actually. You never did the mic. I'd have just thrown you up. <laughs> How I did you never do the mic? Because when the mic was going on at the time, that's when I was working in the Hulu offices at Santa Monica. Mm. So by the time I'd get back to anywhere that wasn't Santa Monica, it was like 10 p.m. You were one of the rare comedians with a job. Yeah. Because when we got moved from seven o'clock to five o'clock, I thought this yep. is the end of the mic. And never underestimate how unemployed almost all the comedians are. Los Angeles stays not having jobs. Yeah. Oh, my God. For a city with such a, a high standard of living, uh, everybody's a bum. Like, because there was the hey. meltdown. <laughs> <laughs> I'm vaguely unemployed right now. <laughs> I mean, but you're still, like, hella doing stuff. Thank nah, you. I'm still not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, there's the meltdown mic, and there was a flapper set list, and, like, a whole bunch of middle-of-the-day mics where I'd get invited to, and it was... It was no, the uh, my soul's being. Yeah, the store mic. And it was like, no, my soul's being eaten at Hulu right now. I can't play with you. Uh, and then by the time 
I was out and I actually had like a reasonable schedule. None of these things existed. Anymore. Well, I mean, the Melt Mike still goes on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Caitlin and uh, and Jenny run it, but uh, that's that's getting ahead in the story. But it actually <laughs> ties in because that was how I came to first be at Meltdown. Really? I at the time was was uh, just finishing grad school. Mm-hmm. I went to USC to get a teaching credential and a master's in urban education. And I was also doing stand-up really aggressively because I had kind of, you know, farted around doing a bunch of stuff. I had been in, I'd started stand-up when I was in college, and then I got into a graduate screenwriting program as an undergrad because of stand-up. And then two weeks before I finished my undergrad, they informed me that the program that I was already taking and already had credits in was being dissolved. <laughs> and so at the <sighs> height of the recession, I was dropped out of grad school and into the working world. Uh, and so I worked at a weird private school during the day and mm. Bevmo at night. And that was my life for a year. There was a nine month period where I did not have a day off because like it turns out when you work two part time jobs as a full time job, they don't give a shit what your hours are. Nope. So eventually I went back to school because I was like, mm-hmm. all right, I seem to be doing moderately OK in education. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll give a go at that. And at the same time, creatively, I had been in music forever. And then had bands fall apart and my whole sense of identity went away. And so I was like, I tried making movies and that's fun, but crazy expensive and had kind of done stand up off and on. It was always like, oh, maybe I'll be like that rock star who also does like funny comedy stuff on the side because I didn't know how comedy works. Yeah. And then most of us don't go yeah. into it. And then literally for a long time, I was doing poetry and music open mics, like mm-hmm. wherever I could find them, like in Ventura County and in oh, the I Valley. Oh, I would do that shit stuff. in Orange County and they had like marionettes. And- yep. Oh, oh you see a lot of fun things. Yep. And eventually, because I was living in Simi and then commuting to South Central to go to USC and that's where I was student teaching at too. I uh, was stuck in the car all the time and I tore through my library's basically entire collection of audiobooks. And a girl I was in grad school with was like, Hey, have you ever tried podcasts? Because she was a big This American Life fan. Yeah. And that was right around when they were hitting When they were their just heat. starting to hit. And I downloaded This American Life and I was like, This is fine. But then saw WTF and I had seen Mark Marin open for Henry Rollins and Janine Garofalo a million years ago. And I, was like, I was like, Oh, that guy's fun. And literally, that's a lineup I've made in my head. Oh, it's uh, it was amazing. I saw that was like 2007 at the silent mm-hmm. movie theater. Like it was an, insane. And what was fun was it was literally I think the week that either the Dane Cook or the Carlos Mencia episode of WTF came out. It's like really like the height of WTF starting to like mm-hmm. hit. And from there, I was just like addicted, like podcast for my life because I spend 90 percent of my life in the car. And from there, found the Nerdist podcast. And was like, I don't know, like, I don't really play video games or do stuff. But, like, started listening to it and realized really quickly it was basically just another comedy nerd podcast. Yeah. And eventually listening to that, like, that became something I, like, was way into. And was just like, oh, man, I really like, like, you know, I was real into Joan Ray. And I liked, like, another tone and how aspirational it was. And then they were like, oh, we're opening a venue at Meltdown. And I knew Meltdown because I used to do the Saturday Night Marty's run, which Mm. used to be you could do... The Sunset Grill at 7, and then Marty's, and then the Tea Bar, which is now that Black Forest Coffee Shop. Yeah. There used to be a mic there that went from 12.30 a.m. to 4 a.m. every Saturday night. Oh, and it the- was all standby when you were a young baby comic. So like at 3.30 in the morning after Ed Greer and Rel Battle and Jamar Neighbors have all gone on and killed, like I can perform to Teenage Runaways and Drunk Armenians <laughs> uh, as the sun is starting to come up. And that was my life for like a year. It was just that was my Saturday night. And there's like a bunch of comics still in LA that I love mm-hmm. that I know larger from that time, like Nick Petrillo, Paul Palmieri, Casey Balsam, who's in New York now, uh, Max Silverstein, and 
then at some point they were like, those are all across the street from where Meltdown was. Mm-hmm. So I'd see it all the time. And then they were like, oh, we're going to open this theater in the back. And I'd gone to the Wednesday show a couple mm-hmm. of times just because it was the coolest show. And then they were like, oh, Matt Myers is going to have an open mic there. And I couldn't go to the first one because I was graduating from grad school <laughs> the day of it. And then like the third one, I finally was able to make it to. And then a billion people would show up. And then on top of that, Hardwick showed up and did like 30 minutes in the middle of the show. Oh, and shit. so a bunch of people weren't going to get to go up. And I stayed just because I was like, I got nowhere better to go. Like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Uh, Which is how most they, of us stayed in places oh, yeah. we find special and comedy. <laughs> and they ended up, a ton of people bailed. And the lineup that stayed mm-hmm. ended up getting to go on. I did well because I'd been doing comedy for like two years at that point. So it was a little, you know, had some chops to it. Mm-hmm. And then what was interesting is like the cluster of people who were like there that night who also stayed, I look at it and it's like insane because it was like Paige Weldon, Ahmed Brucha, Ryan O'Flanagan, I think like Pat Riley, Jason Van Glass, like Jesus. really like a really neat cluster of people because they're all people who I still know and love and think are great. Yeah. Every single one of them, anytime <laughs> they go on stage, I'm just kind of like, oh, actually don't talk to me during this it one. Was, it was like an insane run. And so then I kept coming back and like they were like oh like this guy's all right like it was funny Matt Myers showed me like the list because he used to like put check marks next to the comedians he thought were funny and like me and Paige Weldon he had check marks by and I was like oh it's real I think I I think he gave it to me I think I have that slip somewhere but I then came back and was like hey man do you guys need literally any help I will do anything to be a part of this theater and I was the last hire of the original staff at Meltdown when Nerd Melt opened as a theater Mm -hmm. and I worked there as an intern and then I eventually as the summer went on they used to only have one tech staff person Mm -hmm. and I knew how to run a PA from doing music and so I got hired on like the weekend of Comic-Con of that year they were like hey Zach's going to Comic-Con for a day like we have a show can you run the board and I can and I did And then I ended up kind of being able to do that. And then I started doing that for the open mic. Mm -hmm. And then as Myra got more and more busy, they were trying to throw different co-hosts on. I kept going like, I sure would love to co-host it. And they were throwing Ed Salazar on a bunch. I don't know. Do you know Ed? He's a sweetheart. He's good. He was one of the co-founders of the Meltdown show. Oh, shit. Actually, yeah, I do. Um, (laughs) And so at some point, Ed just looked at my sad puppy dog face and he turned to Paul Sebas, who was the co-host at the time, and was like, he clearly wants to do this. And like, I want to go home. Make Kyle host the show with you. That's the best way to ever be tossed a bone. Yeah. And so I ended up, and then Matt was like, hey, man, I can't keep doing this. So he officially put me in charge. And it was me and Paul for a year or two. And then Paul retired and I put John Garo as my co-host. And it was John and I for probably two and a half or three years hosting it together and then Caitlin Durante and I you know for the last little run of my I ended up hosting that mic for five years like that was my baby we started on Sundays and we moved to Mondays and I think that might be changed. one of the longer times I've ever heard somebody stay with a mic I, I love it if if I didn't have like the jobs that I'd gotten that I had to leave it for mm-hmm. I'd have stayed like I literally it was actually it'll be a year ago Halloween that I, I retired from the mic because it was the when my album came out was the album release party was also my last night hosting the open mic. There's something really special about hosting an open mic and watching people grow the more they come because you don't really have a lot to do with it, but you're almost proud of them. I feel like every comedian should have to run an open mic for two years. I feel like we should yep. apply open mics the same way Israel does armed service because <laughs> I feel like not only do you like learn a lot by just being on stage that much but I feel like you also see a ton of comedy and you see 
good comedy. You see bad comedy. You see people who suck get good. You see people who are good get shitty. Like you, you see people that you're like, oh, they're fantastic, but you're like, oh, they've been doing the same eight minutes of that fantastic thing oh over and over again. When, when I first started at Meltdown, that was like really the kind of the first kind of big starts of like the new mm-hmm. comedy boom and the number of comics who are not around anymore who were like I'm gonna get my big five minutes together and it's gonna be this perfectly polished five minutes that I can then try to get onto a sh- like like shows yep. with and like I it was always weird because it came from such an odd version of comedy it was just like desperation yeah uh, you know that being polished and having like a killer five was like never my plan i just wanted to like get up and talk because and just it was be like, comfortable up yeah. there and i it's always magical when you watch that person and you're like you're not that great right now but you have that thing that can be please keep coming back the, the number of people who i saw like come to town and then you'd see them and go like they're pretty good i feel like they're gonna get mm. great you know like i look at somebody like, like keith kelly who I think is brilliant. Yeah. Like, and, and I remember when he was like the odd guy who was like, you know, shadow basketball playing in the alley <laughs> outside of the West side comedy theater. And then like, I remember like being at Mike's and all of a sudden watching what he does click and it go from like, Oh, the weird guy to like, Oh, this guy's like kind of a genius. <laughs> and I, like, I remember Finn Straley coming to town and like Finn Straley figuring it out. And then all of a sudden he's brilliant. And I remember that with like Luke Jensen and, page and i'm trying to like like so many goddamn people i feel like in like the the nine years i've been doing this like one of my favorite parts of doing it, especially running a mic was the fact that i love i think that that's the teachery part of my brain yeah i love watching people get good at something i definitely become a forced mom sometimes yeah especially whenever because Kevin and I have been running Killer Mike together for a little while. And, it's, and I still tell people I think it's one of the best mics in LA. Thank you. I We put a lot of love into it because when you start hosting a mic, you realize how shitty you've been in the past two hosts <laughs> yeah. before. Because oh. all of a sudden it's just kind of like, oh, they're exhausted and they don't have to do this. <laughs> they really don't need to be here. 90% of the time they're not even being paid. And... Ever since then, I've both been harder on comics that are annoying with me uh, and just saying the things like straight up, hey, if you want to make friends with someone at a mic, maybe don't fucking talk when you're in the room or don't harass me six times for it. But also I see that person who's really anxious and they don't think they're that great, but you've got they've got like that spark of something magical where it's just like, hey, I know you didn't ask me, but if you just stop doing these three stupid things and just really hone in on this thing, I promise oh, you, you're going to have a different response. We're come so back. similar. I've and done that <laughs> thousands of times. Where you just kind of corner and it's not even like in a con, it's just kind of like, I promise you that thing that you're trying to get to, you just need to do these things and you can't see it right now. And then they come back the next week and then they do that. And you see that moment in their eyes where they're like, Oh, this is it. It's, it's like, even now I'm like clutching my fist and getting revved up about it. Cause it's something really special where you're like, I wanted to tell you the thing that no one else is telling you right now that you really should be doing right now and make, I want you to be better. Yeah. And back to it being Meltdown, like <clears throat> it, Meltdown is a very magical place. It's a, for those who don't know, it's the world, it's the largest comic book store on the West Coast. Did not know that. It is on the Sunset Strip. It is right surrounded by a bunch of guitar stores and Thai restaurants. It looks like a magical neon beacon. It does. It's constantly like there's murals all over it. There's like the Kevin Eastman painted an original Ninja Turtles piece on the back of the store. 
Um, How did I not know that? <laughs> oh yeah, there's so many cool things about their mascot it. is a uh, Mel who was um, designed by Daniel Klaus, and uh, if you go by the store, you see a big neon Mel on yeah. the street, which is super cool. Up and above. I think one of the most significant parts of it is so I'm I'm working there as an intern, mm-hmm. and then and then I'm kind of staff, and I'm working shows there, and I'm doing s- stuff, and then. Uh, you know, in a series of roundabout ways, it's literally the way that Natalie and I met, and we've been together really? for almost five years now. And and without Meltdown, we'd have never met. That's amazing. How did yeah. you guys meet at Meltdown? Or like, was it? I remember when I when I first moved out here, I don't. I was like, I want to see every comedy show I can. Like that's all I did was just go and see comedy shows. I just mm-hmm. love comedy. Just like huge comedy nerds. So I'd go to UCB, and the people were like, Oh, hey, you should go check out Meltdown. And so I went uh, to the Meltdown show one night, and I think I met Aldrin, like the fir- our Aldrin, mutual uh, friend uh, Cornejo, who is a amazing animator and like artist who was is there's like a weird elite group of like regulars who would go to Meltdown from like way back in the day to like all the way through who are just at all the stuff like it's their kind of go to their cheers like that's their place to go see <laughs> like shows like the, the old Wednesday show with Kamel and, uh, and Jonah Jonah was like a real like there was a lot of like regulars to that show who became kind of part of the family and I would oh man it's just funny thinking about it I would um like go every night every Wednesday and so after a while and then I would go to other shows and after a while I was like okay I'm going to so many shows here I should probably just like intern at this place and then eventually um Emily Gordon put up like a Twitter ad or whatever and she's like hey we're looking for interns particularly female interns and then I wrote her back and then I ended up becoming an intern there but and do you want to say the weird part about like the Wednesday show you went to oh yeah, I, was it the first one? It must have been. But anyways, you were performing I was on, on it. on one of the first Wednesday shows she went to. <laughs> yeah, I forgot which about is a that. a weird intersection because like that was like, that was my doing Letterman. Like I didn't want, I've never wanted anything in my entire <laughs> life more than I wanted to do the Wednesday show. And, and that I'm, was the first time I did it. It was and yeah. I remember you were, uh, you did material, you were like making fun of your dad a little bit yeah. about how he was going to die or something because of like his <laughs> diet or something. I remember thinking like, okay, this guy's super like engaging and fun. Like I just remembered you. And then I, we went, uh, I got invited to like a staff party or some kind of party at Mel. And then I saw you there and I talked to you and you, I was like, oh, you were on that show. And then you were just kind of like, yep. And then like didn't really like want to talk to me. Well, not that you didn't want to talk to me, but you were just like. Uh, well, I was like, cool. Nice to meet you. I had a girlfriend at the time. And I could not be going and chatting to this nice, cute girl because she's too cute and I need to get out of this situation right now. Because pretty much from jump, I had a crush on you. And you worked the open mic for Yeah, a long that was time. the shift I got assigned to was the Sunday uh, night open mic. And so uh, I guess that's so we how we kind of... out. And I poured soda on your head once because yeah, like I a... was trying to emulate a magic trick Justin <laughs> Willman did because Justin Willman from Cupcake Wars would demo open mic new magic tricks for Holy his act shit. at our show. So he'd like I saw him me. at the Magic Castle and he's he's a sweetheart. I love him to death. S- uh, not only a sweetheart, but like one of those ma- magicians where you're just kind of like, "Oh, you're our David Blaine. You're yeah. going to be our David Blaine." And what's fun is like he would literally like I he I get an email or a text from him, like, mm-hmm. "Hey man, can I run a thing?" And so in the middle of our open mic, we'd stop down the mic. One of the best magicians in the world <laughs> would like come in, do a crazy trick and then just like leave. <laughs> Uh, and so that was like a ton of fun. Would be, you'd get weird stuff like that. Mm. Like that was that's the fun of Meltdown as a whole. So it's a comic book store, and then in the back there's a black box theater that seats about I would say what a buck ten, like hundred ten, yeah, hundred ten people, people max capacity. And then there's an attic. In the attic there is a podcast studio, an office, a second office where a Lord of the Rings website operates out of, and then. Huh. 
And then there was a side room that now is a school but used to be a gallery space. Mm. And then there also, over the years, has been a second podcast studio, a vintage one. toys and video game store. That place was great. Uh, I'm trying to think what else. And then that shopping network. The shopping, the, the home online home shopping network. At any given time, there's about 30 businesses happening inside of Melton. And you make, can walk in at any time and just something crazy is happening. And, and not only that, there will be like, weird like like Kanye West will be in there or like Mankind the Wrestler will be in there or like <laughs> oh we one night like Shia LaBeouf and Marilyn Manson in like a drug fueled haze we're just like running around the oh, store man, selling that's right their weird Satan book or the other night we were just recording an episode because we recorded in the studio in the attic and uh, just Guar was there yeah. so we just took a photo with Guar like it's just like, crazy stuff just happening just, constantly we, uh, you know but and then on top of that like the, the best comic book writers and artists like the number of times like I'll just walk in and like Grant Morrison's hanging out like like to the point where I've met Grant Morrison enough times where I'm just like hey Grant like I helped his oh, wife pull out of a parking Grant space <laughs> it's it's uh, uh it's truly a magical and, place and they do like you know the events they have there like not only do they do amazing comedy shows mm-hmm. but they'll do art galleries where they'll like pick a theme like my favorite one they ever did was like 90s anime and for a, two weeks, there was just all this amazing fan art of old animes. My favorite painting in the whole run was a blockbuster video clamshell of Ninja Scroll, like leaning on somebody's desk. And I'm like, fuck, man. Like, this is this oh, is somebody who man. like understands what it was like to be like an anime fan in the 90s. You got your like one copy of Ninja Scroll and this is your Friday night. And somebody like captures that in a painting. Or like when I first started working there, like they would have like cool events and stuff like that and then like uh, Grant Morrison always comes to mind because he's one of my favorite writers of all time oh same and Happy is one of my favorite things in this entire oh, goddamn yeah. universe and so he did an event Meltdown through an event because Grant is friends with Gaston who is the man who owns Meltdown he is an everyone amazing everyone at Meltdown has man. great names oh yeah from Gaston Francisco, Francisco Hasami they're all and and what's great is like once you're kind of in that world like you do kind of assimilate into like they are all extended family members like mm-hmm. I I would take a bullet for every single one of those people they're all beautiful insane it's it it is a world where it's just let's weird misfit nerdy art school kids have a clubhouse to crash in like the number of times I've just like gone there to like go to sleep in like the green room like in the middle of the day because I'm like working somewhere and I've got like a few hours between like Mm. getting off work and a gig and I'll just go to the green room shut the lights off and take a nap and nobody questions it or somebody else will come out or is also sleeping in another corner or is like you know animators will sit with a Cintiq in like one of the back rooms because they know it's quiet and they know they can you know have a kind of a safe space for stuff but this Grant Morrison thing was like the first massive event I still have my lanyard from it they did these Dave Clock did these incredible posters for him and it was Gerard Way from My Chemical Romance interviewing Grant Morrison. The whole video of it is actually on YouTube. It's incredible. But then on top of that, there was a weird period when comedy, the comedy boom was first going Mm -hmm. where there was this huge crossover because it was kind of the tail end of alt porn and alt comedy like kind of met in the middle. So you had all these like kind of super hip like porn people who would come out and hang out at comedy shows. Like Suicide Girl more like cosplay kind of. Like okay. and so like the one that I specifically remember is like for this Grant Morrison thing like like April O'Neil was there like and Misty Dawn and a couple other people like that who were all super sweet. Emily Gordon had a friend of hers from back in the day who had mm. come and he was another big Grant Morris nerd. So me and him just like glommed onto each other. And for this event, I brought a friend of mine who had gotten me into kind of like comics back when I was a kid and was yeah. like, Hey man, I made it into a cool thing. I am getting you VIP'd into this bad boy. So I got him into the show and I'm hanging in the back 
and like the show goes off and it's real cool and like it's neat getting to meet all these people then what was cooler was like afterwards there used to be next to meltdown this place called the rainforest cafe that was like a pizza shop and hookah bar and, and not affiliated with the actual rainforest. No. <laughs> yeah. But what was great, crazy is like my this kid who I've been was friends with from high school and me and like Emily Gordon, her friend, April O'Neil, the porn star, and somebody else were all just like sitting, like having drinks and talking about shit after this thing because we're all just on this high because Grant Morrison's made of magic. So what happens is April O'Neil is a huge Doctor Who fan. And my friend, who is also a huge Doctor Who fan, like I say to like, because I'd met April a couple of times at that point. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, my friend is a huge Doctor Who fan. You guys should talk. And both of them kind of look at each other like, sure. Like, and then, <laughs> and then the fuck out of you an some- hour later, we turn and they have not stopped talking. <laughs> uh, they have doubled down on things. But what was even better is my friend was just starting to date this girl he was really into. Mm-hmm. And I come back to the conversation. They're no longer talking about Doctor Who. She is giving him romantic advice for how to like pursue this girl he's way into, but he doesn't want to come on too strong. So it's really neat. He ends up marrying that girl. They have a child now. And then we, on This Is Rad, at Meltdown, got to bring both of them back to Meltdown and tell them the story about how all this advice that she gave him all these years ago worked and now they're married and have a kid. And like that's the kind of insane world Meltdown is to me, like put into one thing. It's its own complete realm. It's it, like it's a whole universe it's an for oasis Misfit Toys. for everybody that's lived under the other. I'll give you another good weird meltdown story. Cause I could do these like like I don't like it's almost feels like too big of a topic to try to cover because I feel like I've just told two stories. <laughs> the space that is now the Nerdist School, that mm-hmm. is the side, used to be this gallery space. They've done some of the coolest things. They turned it into the mm-hmm. 60s bat cave for an event. That was super cool. But the coolest one they ever did and the one that will always live in my heart is that Kevin Eastman, the guy who created the Ninja Turtles, mm-hmm. did a residency there where he built his office at home in a glass case so that people could look at the stuff. And he took stuff from his private collection of mm-hmm. turtle stuff and did a gallery of it that not only included turtle stuff, but also he owns Heavy Metal Magazine. So he had a bunch of old like heavy metal magazine that beautiful album. 80s van art like, covers oh my fucking god and then they would just run the movie heavy metal on repeat on a projector but the fucking centerpiece of the whole thing was he had the original ninja turtles drawing that he drew and showed to peter laird in the 80s holy shit in a fucking bulletproof case on the wall so you could just walk up and like pay your respects so what was cool about this, it was like a saint uh, it, so it turns out like he's just hanging out there because again he's friends with you know Gaston, mm. and because I'm there all the time because like I I you know worked at the theater and it basically if I wasn't at an open mic or work I was just at Meltdown like mm. it's just like it was like I, I there are very few places that I feel more comfortable than Meltdown Comics, but because I was there all the time he was there all the time too for this event and also he was just hanging out and having a time so he and I end up spending most of a month just the who of us hanging out at the store. And like he told me about when he went to jury duty during this run and like all this weird stuff. So eventually he um, invites me to do like stand up at mm-hmm. one of the events he's throwing. Well, I at the time had a bit about the Ninja Turtles coming out of their shell tour, which was their like music concert tour. And I did it at the thing and I had like a last line to it. And it was great because he like the joke, the last line of the bit is like, you know, the, the two ad executives looked at the turtle cars like, you know, if we throw jean jackets on them, we could make some more money. And then the other executive says, that's a great idea. Let's go buy more cocaine. And he walked over to me after my set and gave me a hug and said, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> and like 
it was such a surreal thing because like the Ninja Turtles were like the first Ninja Turtles movie is still my favorite movie of all time. Mm-hmm. Like I love just because it bridges the gap for me into being like a big indie comics nerd. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, it takes my love of like Frank Miller's run of Daredevil, but also like my love of like old weird, you know, 90s, Euro trash. Yeah, yeah. Kind of things. And all that kind of stuff go, goes coalesces into like this guy that like you just get to meet and be around because you're in this weird universe where like anything's possible. Because I love asking weird little mindfuck questions. What do you feel like your lives would look like without meltdown? Without it, I legitimately can't. I can't. I can't fathom. I, I think <laughs> it's such an a, important part of I my life. I think I'm a nice public school teacher somewhere. You're a cool teacher that has like a neat song and about like, division. And like you know, is paying paying a mortgage on a townhouse, you know, and and is you know living a thoroughly solid life. But like you know, without meltdown, I don't sell nerd turns to the Nerdist channel, which means that I don't get my job working for the Nerdist podcast, which means I don't get any of the jobs that I have now and I don't make a second season of nerd turns which means Natalie and I don't have a terrible experience making the second season of nerd turns which means we don't make out in my car after a particularly bad shoot day which is how we got together wow thanks for uh, laying that out <laughs> I mean Accurate I feel like lines. it's pretty public I'm not ashamed of making out with you in that car it's the best decision Outside I've ever made Todd's in my life apartment. in front of Todd, Todd's apartment Oh, I miss Todd. Yeah, me too. We he was killed a funny him. man. No, we didn't. He moved to <laughs> New York. <laughs> um, I think I would just be like my nose up against the glass of UCB, just like trying so hard to get accepted because they like when I moved out here, I was like, I just want to be in the UCB so bad. Like, I just want to be part of that. And I, I just, think everybody at one point yeah. had that. It was the coolest thing in the world at a time. And it just yeah. did like I took all the classes and I just didn't everybody in it was like not a comedy person. They were all, like actors who just wanted to get Ooh. like, you know, yeah. put like another thing on their thing. And so I just felt like I don't know any comedy people. This is terrible. I moved out here to like meet funny people and comedy people and I date everyone. And so Meltdown was really like how I got like a semblance of life and order. Well, when you first come to Los Angeles, a lot of people that come here, we're passionate weirdos from other places that are trying to find an outlet for that. Because we all grew up as like the singular passionate weirdo where maybe we weren't like alone or lonely, but we always kind of felt like what I want is very different from what the rest of you want. Oh, for sure, yeah. And I know when I first got here too, I had that same like, oh, you guys, this isn't your end game. This is just a stepping stone into something else, whether it be acting or like I did for the first few months. I just, I I just kind of drifted from place to place, like trying to find what home was. But at the same time, a lot of the times it was like, I'm going to do this for like a few times on stage and then I'm going to bail the second I get a commercial. And it wasn't until I came across places like meltdown or the other door that I host at now. And where I met people where it was like, no comedy's end game. Comedy isn't the stepping stone. This is what I want. And that was why I liked yeah. you when I first met you. Cause like, I definitely, cause, cause <laughs> I, I do a lot of stuff, but like comedy is like the thing that like I would still do even if it were mm-hmm. like illegal to do. Like it's my favorite. Thing. It's my footloose dance. It's yeah. I, I, if I don't do it, I start to go crazy and I remember, and I definitely feel like when you meet comedy people or like like people doing comedy, you mm-hmm. you meet the ones who want to be writers, you meet the ones that want to be actors, and then I feel like you can kind of smell on the people who want to be comics. Yeah, and 
it's definitely I feel like there's a bit a of a like hellfire circle. <laughs> and I remember like very like if not, if it wasn't the first time it was one of the first couple of times and I saw you on stage and it was one of those things where it was like, oh, when she gets this figured out, she's gonna be a real dangerous. Human. I think I said that to whoever <laughs> I was with. I, I, I don't remember who it was, but I remember. I think we met at UBG or something. Yeah. And yeah. I remember like because you just were so. I mean, UBG is such a specific room, like, because it's yep. so hostile and it so simulates You're like, fighting the back real the world of road gigs, which is why I always loved it. Because mm. it's weird, like, I came from Meltdown, which is like the artiest, altiest run, but to me, like, that was home. And then you go out to go do the weird, rough road stuff to get good. And then you can, you, so you start the idea in the safe space and then you take it to where it actually matters and work it against the hostile environment. And, yeah. like, I started in very hostile yeah. environments because my three venues that I first did stand up at was UBG, UBG, the Lexington, and the Liquid Zoo. Uh, actually, let's go for it: Liquid Zoo, West Side. Oh fuck yeah! See, the- and and I <laughs> yep. feel like we 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 came out of a lot of the same mic scenes and stuff. And so I remember thinking like, oh shit, like this girl's this girl's in this for real. This is not an actress or an aspiring <laughs> comedy writer. This is this is someone this is a living in their car. <laughs> this is someone living in their car. Uh, with just a very worried family back home, just desperately trying to get three minutes at midnight. I, I feel like I booked you on Deep Piazzas when you were real early on. I was real. And I think new. I even I was, introduced you as like this next me is not to be fucked with or something I think like I that. I was like barely a year in. Yeah. Uh, because because now I'm about ooh, three years in. Is that all? Yep. Really? God, yeah, you got the dead eyes of somebody who's been doing this longer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a three-year divorce and hosting a mic, baby. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've been doing it for about two, three years now. And like, I I remember going into it that I, I didn't make friends for a long time just because it was just straight, like, you were very do my intense shit. when you first came. Like, I, oh I was God. very afraid of you when I, I first met you. So was Brian. Like he said he tried to cuz this was not even when I just started. This was only like a year or two ago when I met Brian where he said he saw me pacing outside of Liquid Zoo with headphones in like mumbling to myself. You did that a lot. Ooh, it took me a while to stop cuz that's not how you make friends. No. But as a girl too, I think you kind of have to put up a little bit of a defense wall at first. A little bit of a barrier and it's it's kind of like whenever you put like a female rapper on an all dude song, where it's just kind of like I have to come up. Meaner. Oh, you were like, oh Eve. yeah, a lot of a lot of Eve stuff, <laughs> a lot of like this has got to be my tambourine moment, or else I'm gonna have someone try and teach me something that I don't want teaching me anything. And I would straight up do like three to four mics in a night, which you don't do because then you're just tired and you're not using your time wisely. Yeah. And then I would go home and I'd sleep for hours and then I'd wake up and I'd do it again. And it took a while until somebody was just like, settle down. <laughs> Enjoy the material that you have. Live in it for a little bit. Stop thinking of this as a numbers game and you're going to actually like what you do again. And then that's kind of when I hit my stride because it was, it, was it was less like insane karate person training and more like, oh, right, this is something I do because I like it. Yeah. Because I think everybody it's has so a moment where they're funny how similar our <laughs> brains are. Because I, I literally for a while had to just write on my little like notes was like remember oh, yeah. to enjoy the time because I would get off – and like the thing I've been waiting six hours to do and thought about all day and sat through all this garbage, the three to five minutes I'd be up on stage, I'd be like so like I gotta get through it all. Yeah. That instead of like enjoying it or trying to get the laughs or do the thing or play with it, like you're so fixated. Yeah. You're you have this thing in your head and it has to go exactly a certain way and you don't 
leave a lot of room for air, especially when you come up in like harder mics because you just keep thinking to yourself, like, if I crack this formula, I got it. I got to keep punching. Got to keep punching. Just got to keep punching. Got to keep listening. Got to think about your laughs per minute. I don't know if you learned this there, too. One of the most important things about UBG for me was learning how to not talk on stage. Yep. Because that room is such a, you immediately go into fight mode. You immediately go into like, I got to keep hitting him and then I got to hit him and then I got to hit him. And then like the first time I did a set there where I just like, I think I let like 25 seconds go between like a punch and the next setup. Mm -hmm. And like, all like I thought I was gonna vomit on stage, and then, you get like, sweaty and, up there. And then all of a sudden, I was like, "Wait a minute!" Like they laughed even more if I held the pause. Like they, yep. there was more, and it was like, "Wait!" But I didn't talk. But they kept laughing. That's where I learned to slow down and just kind of simmer because it wasn't even on purpose. It was I took a sip of a beer and I hit my tooth and I didn't want to talk for a second because it really hurt. <laughs> <laughs> like it forced me to shut the fuck up for a second. And as I was just sitting there like contemplating the pain, the silence worked. And it was like, oh, this is the most literally painful way I've ever learned a lesson. <laughs> I had to smash myself in the face with a bottle to realize like, oh, just sit in it. Just let them simmer with it and for a second. now it's my favorite thing. Like nothing, yeah. nothing's more fun than just sitting in front of a live room and just saying nothing, just looking at them. It's great. Like every once in a while I have to remind myself to do or like I hold my hand with my other hand and I'm like, as long as this is held, do not talk. Because mm -hmm. there's something where it's just like, I can't stand the silence. I have to yell something. And you need that mental reminder. But it's the shitty rooms that kind of teach you how to enjoy the silence and, and the bad shit. And then it's places like Meltdown or those like my family places where you have those older people that are like, I don't want to condescend to you. I just want to tell you, remember that you like this? <laughs> like, <laughs> remember that you do this because this is something that you consider fun? <laughs> you don't look like you're having fun anymore. And when you're in rooms like Meltdown where you know everyone, or for me it was the other door, that's when you can like, you, you relax a little bit and you start playing on stage and then you learn about this ability that you didn't have before to be able to come up with something off of the top of your head that you wouldn't otherwise in these hostile mics. That was another big thing for me about, because when I, I took over the, the meltdown mic uh, and I know that I feel like this, this episode is ending up just being more about the mic than anything else, but it's such a, it, that's the Rosetta stone for me for the rest of yeah. meltdown. We were coming out of, Maybe one of the worst periods to be trying to do open mics in L.A. I mm -hmm. feel like that's a thing that like when I hear like new comics complain about mics in L.A. now. It's so much I'm better. Like, it I'm only like, took a year oh, and it's so much better. Oh, sweet child. Because like the comedy store was literally like a no man's land. I think Danish yeah. and were still running that fucking garbage nightmare version of their mic. Just a year, two years ago, there was nothing on Saturdays. And Oh, yeah. And then on top of that, like you know like things like the, when the ucb had a stand-up mic what a useless thing and uh <laughs> like some of the other places everything was rigged everything was people putting their friends up and yeah. my big thing i pushed at our mic was it's fair and it sucks because some nights you end up with a bunch of nightmare people spewing hate speech but like it's fair sometimes like, i've had to put a little like turn away comics and i'm like i know you're so good i want you up here you'll fix this room but unfortunately this is three guys in a row talking about their dicks that's just the luck of the draw just three <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, well in a row and then the fourth one yells the n-word and then someone gets called and then the fifth one's just kind of like n-word again uh that guy's super funny so no, 
I, I remember for a very brief time, one of the house managers who really liked to like micromanage decided she needed to like be at the open mic because she didn't trust me to run it by oh. myself. And it was funny because she'd hear the oh, I remember talk that. and she was like, God, how can you sit through this? And I'm like, oh, you don't understand. Like you're making mistake number one, which is listening. Yep. Uh, when, when most of these comedians go on, I just hear classical music in my head and not whatever nightmare, like half cooked thing they're trying to put together. And I feel like that does take a real specific type of person to just not hear at a certain point. I think that is a skill that running an open mic gives you. I'm still not a thousand percent there yet. I've been trying to train my brain to just hear kazoos whenever that happens. But I think also because the other door is so small, I'm right there. I'm right next to you the entire time. I am either gritting my teeth or like turning away so you don't see my face while I hear a very obvious Bill Hicks bit. Uh, (laughs) Or I like, as you just continue to use three minutes of your five minutes to tell me how long it took you to get up and just, just quietly looking in the corner. And like, that's one thing that Kevin has mastered. Cause while he is the sweeter, maybe like a little bit more of the pushover of the situation, he's mastered tuning out bad comedy. I still hone in on it too much and get like, visibly i'm itchy about it i find that i actually have to like it got went so far that there are certain comics that i just like got really bad about the fact that i would just like ignore them in like life too because like there's a certain frequency range of like self-righteous dude comic voice that i just am like 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 uh, it just no longer registers like it's the opposite of a dog whistle where I'm just like, oh, I know they're talking, but I just I literally just hear silence and they're probably saying something important. It's the second they quote Carlin and I'm just kind of like, eh, man, you're dealing with smarter ones. <laughs> These are waiting. Just three's company in my head immediately. <laughs> sometimes I'll quote Carlin and then sometimes I get guys that are like, have you heard of Andrew Dice Clay? <laughs> God, you're getting like a way more literate crowd. I feel like our bad ones would literally just be like, I don't understand why girls don't like me. I'm caustic and awful looking and, you know, just a bad monster person. The best meltdown I've ever seen at the other door was a guy who was doing an entire bit about how a girl was a bitch for not going out with him. (laughs) Uh, And then he got no response and then he freaked out because the guy before him just actually did a phenomenal bit on like suicide and depression. Like, it's a subject that's touched on a lot, but like, this guy did a very good job with his material and like killed beforehand. And so he's doing this bit about how this girl's a bitch. And then he just like lets the mic down by his knee and then brings it back up again and goes, you know, like suicide isn't even that funny. Right. And just storms off. Jeez. And so there's just no music for a second. And I'm on the other side trying to like tell someone to be quiet in the hallway. So I have to crawl over the sound booth (laughs) and just kind of vault myself on the other side and run up to the stage yelling the next person's name. And that got a laugh. And you can hear him as he's storming off going, come on. And it's like, actually, I didn't do anything funny. I was just I was literally falling off of a desk. And that worked better. But it was it was it was a kind of fun moment to see because it was it was almost like showing everybody an example of like don't do this. We got into like doing weird theme shows for a while. Like oh, we did we that. did Meltdown After Dark where we wore bathrobes and had pipes, and like only played jazz and just like brought like we said if you brought wore a bathrobe you would get extra time and literally only two comics did <laughs> Mr. Goodnight and some girl both God brought bathrobes and they both we gave them an extra minute of time. We did 
we had we would do like weird music cue things where we would just play like the same song playing everybody on and off. Oh, like, I did that like, with nursery rhymes one day. What was the, oh, we we got really into because for a while there was a lot of like cool drop-ins like and and really my favorite was like not the drop-ins that were like the huge names because like when i first took it over like kamel or chris or like mm-hmm. todd glass would show up and then like at a certain point a lot of those people like just don't care anymore and they're not going to come yeah. to a five o'clock mic but like we'd get like hugh moore jackie cation or uh like melissa Villasenor or john roy like like those really magical people fucking just great kind of like, comments oh, you're about to hit your thing like and and just all people who were like who at that point are all already established amazing comedians mm-hmm. but we knew that like a lot of young comics moved to la to see because like that that was maybe my least favorite shift in meltdown when it went from here is a room full of like cool people making cool stuff and doing weird stuff and there definitely was a period where it turned into look at how famous the person who's shown up is like and and it's a mixed bag because like i remember the first two times it happened the first one was like louis dropped in at one point mm-hmm. and it was weird because it to me it didn't seem like that big of a deal because like margaret cho was already on the show so we're already dealing with like titans of but that was like the height of louis you know yeah, what i was, mean and that, yeah and that's what it was and then the other was when robin showed up like Ro- and when, williams and then when he sorry would... for mention I, I imagined robin the singer uh, <laughs> what was she doing there and, and I, I remember because like i you know robin williams showed up to do a set and like we were in a writer's meeting for nerd turns and we all bailed out to go watch him do stand-up and i was standing in the tech room with zach and and jonah and all them and he came back and like and i got to meet him and shake his hand and he was just talking about how oh, fun God. stand-up is and like and i met him a handful of times because he would come a lot because he was friends with bob and he loves, loves comic books like and a he lot. was such oh, a like or he loved comic books. oh yeah he he would god what a good dude he was yeah, he was super like, cool. I, it was weird because i got legit because i've never been a massive fan of any of his movies like like I like him as the genie in Aladdin, uh, but beyond that, I'm sort of like he's fine. But like I, he was such a like nice man, and like clearly loved doing comedy, and that was really neat to see. That it's like oh shit, like you love comedy, but because of those kinds of things, it did become a little bit of a like starfucker world for a while. Yeah, but we thankfully at the, at the other door, the only celebrity we've ever had, I think, was Beans from Even Stevens. See, there you go. Uh, he came in, sighed at a comic, and left. <laughs> we oh, we beans. we started to do a thing where we would bring up fake celebrity drop-ins because <laughs> we knew because we also had people who would come and watch the open mic for a long time. Like mm-hmm. people would like it was a cheap way to be entertained, and you might get a, you know Hampton Young's going to probably show up and be funny. Yeah. Um, what was funny is we we started we had actually one with Hampton. He was like, you know what you guys should do is you should bring out. F- like say coming to stage please welcome dat fan and then bring out a fan and then i will talk on the god mic in an offensive asian voice <laughs> and i was like i've never wanted to do anything more but the mic didn't work so we said ladies and gentlemen dat fan and we brought out the fan and people were like losing their minds like oh my god we're gonna see dat fan which is really i feel like a testament to how crazy the comedy boom got that people were like oh my god dat fan is here <laughs> and we brought a fan on stage but then hampton started talking to Mike but it wasn't connected like something went wrong so now it's just a silent stage with a fan on it I definitely remember that like being at the back at the and John counter. just came back out on stage and started apologizing <laughs> um, just the gl- I remember the specifically the glee in your eyes oh, of like so how excited. excited you were about that bit um, and then like but then it was just funny so we instead uh, like we're talking and I'm like, and I'm like sorry hands we kind of like that and he's like no this is giving us an even better opportunity do it four more times <laughs> so we just kept bringing him out and wasting everyone's time 
Oh, I love those magic moments. And then we had, you know, have you ever heard Rick Woods, Bill Hicks character? Like, yes. Or not Bill Hicks, uh, uh, Bill Burr voice. Yes. It's His amazing. Bill Burr voice and is I, perfect. And so I said, ladies and gentlemen, Bill Burr. And he just came out and started doing this like bit about how like, oh, the Flash isn't even the fastest guy. Like, like nerd stuff. But there was a kid whose face I will always see in my dream who, when I said, ladies and gentlemen, Bill Burr, he was so like, oh my God, I am alone in a front row for a Bill Burr performing. And then Rick Wood walks out. <laughs> like, I, I, I've never seen someone more upset. Like, we, we, we've gotten like some bigger comics, but we haven't really gotten a lot of celebrity drop ins just because we're also kind of a difficult to find bar. So, what we've started doing. Um, is whenever things are bad, because for some reason we insist on running our mic through every tragedy that's happened in 2017. We could just cancel, yet we insist on continuing and we'll go until 2 a.m. I've started doing bad things to Brian on stage Love to it. make someone laugh, and he's loved it. And we ran our mic on election night, and the I remember that. fucking bar played the play-by-play on the tv outside so people just kept walking in inside in and out weepy eyed during the mic uh so it was slowly unraveling and gary getting very frantic and at one point i just started crying into the mic and then i had a very dumb idea which was brian and i's dynamic is brian cox who you all heard on the uh episode about wilmington is uh i'll make him eat something in front of someone and then he'll do it and he'll feel proud of himself and (laughs) everyone's happy and I hadn't asked him to do this, but he ran up onto the stage as I was crying, uh, and I he took a dime and he ate that dime. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm glad he picked the smallest coin. I guess. What a shitty open mic thing! Like, <laughs> he ate that dime, proved that he ate that dime, and scurried off into the night. And for some reason, it was like the first weird thing that had happened after all of this shit to where you could just kind of hear the giggles start where we're like everything's terrible but brian just ate a dime because he just eats things at this mic for some reason (laughs) everything's gonna be okay if brian's still eating money And, and that was like our first moment where i didn't feel like i was just running a thing but it was like i'm cultivating my family now (laughs) <laughs> and that's to me like place like like the other door if you were like meltdown for us like that is what it is like you are cultivating a family yeah like zach the sound technician at meltdown is an amazing human being he is just this oc california surf boy <laughs> like and he and i first got along because we both like deep cut hip-hop like and that first year when there was a lot of like oh you guys should play this or this and like mm. the the killer mike and lps records that they did before run the jewels came oh, out man. had both just come out and like like the Merce day record a bunch of like you know old living legends records and stuff and he all of a sudden loved me because now there's the only other person who knows how to run the stereo is the only other person co-signing just blasting <laughs> like weird like like underground hip-hop as like the the soundtrack to every like hipster event at the venue probably right around the time i went to the paid dues festival because it was cheap and i can see all of this for free it's the best festival around i got to meet bus driver i gotta meet de la soul an accident uh i don't remember it was over a hoodie as i wrap this up i always like to ask my ask my guests a question that will help somebody kind of find something similar in their hometowns if they don't get a chance to visit meltdown and that is what would you say someone's mindset has to be when they're looking for their place to 
grow their passions and cultivate a family and kind look for their look for somewhere where they can throw their other intensity and 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 their weirdo happiness into how do you find your own meltdown? I feel like you have to go in kind of as a fan first. Do you agree with that? I've got a whole, whole okay. different approach to answer, but I'm super curious to hear what you're going to say. I, I don't know. I just feel like if you, like, I really liked Meltdown. I liked the vibe of it. I liked the people. I liked the comedy there. So it felt natural, I guess. Mm-hmm. But even though I was like an artist, I feel like I went in as like a fan first. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't know. Interesting. What, what, is your, what is your thought? I, when I first went, for the mic there that first night before we walked in i brought my brother and mm. i had a panic attack because i was worried everyone would be mm. and i think that like if you're gonna cultivate a place that is like a center for like people like a beacon for people to come to as either the person having it or the person coming there i think the most important thing is to like have an open mind mm. and be accepting of people even if your like first instinct is like oh they're different than me so i don't know how to process this because like so many people who've come through meltdown and so many people who exist in meltdown not everybody there's a comic book fan not mm-hmm. everybody there it plays D. not everybody there is like a music hipster or like a movie person or even a comedian like like but what makes it cool is that everybody is just open to like each other and to like letting it be a place where people can like do stuff and feel like safe and feel accepted and not because like, like I think like one of the dangers of like nerd culture being a thing is now mm-hmm. it's this thing of like, well, I'm only friends. I can't be friends with you. Don't like it's back to the future now. because I'm just like, Oh, like I would say half the people who like the stuff I like are garbage people. Oh yeah. And to me, like one of the things that's been so cool about this is it's really opened my eyes to like, be open to people, get to know people. Like it turns out if you talk to people and you're open and around and create a place where people can do weird, interesting stuff and be themselves, you'd find out that like, Oh, most people that you meet are actually pretty cool Yeah, and, and are interesting and neat, you know, and have cool perspectives, you know, like Natalie and I ostensibly outside of like jokes, like don't always have all the same things in common. She mm. thinks all music is terrible. <laughs> She's seen four movies. <laughs> Uh, I'm getting better. I saw Jaws today. That's true. Uh, You know, she, you know, half the stuff I'm into, she's just like this dumb or, oh, I've never read it. Or like, oh, it's, you know, whether it's not for her or whether it is for her or she's just never heard of it. Like me at 20 would have been like, oh, I can't. I mean, I'd still been into you because I think you're very hot. But like (laughs) on top of But beyond that, like I'd have been like, I don't know. We don't like the same stuff. But like because you find a world where it's like, oh, she's funny and we both have a similar sense of humor and mm-hmm. we have a similar work ethic and we have a similar philosophies about stuff in life. We don't agree on everything, but just because you don't agree on everything doesn't mean you can't love someone or that yeah. you can't support somebody else's dream just because it's different than your dream. Because like to me, what Meltdown represents and what like when it goes away and what I'll carry in because my dream honestly is to one to like create a place like Meltdown for future people like that that i want to be able to build a beacon for people who like you know need a place to go be creative and don't feel like they fit in in the world and like my dream is to make like a little house for misfit toys the same way meltdown was for me and like a lot of that is just going like oh man if i take five minutes and get to know somebody 
it turns out they could be your new best friend or the yeah. love of your life or just somebody who you fucking like to hang out with on a Saturday or can go get burritos with and make jokes with and stuff like that. I think like that, that like Meltdown is a place, but more than a place, it is a thing in your heart. And it is the idea of being open and realizing that like if you don't fit in, there's probably other people who don't fit in and like you don't have to be mad at the world because you don't you're a square peg and it's all round holes because you can like if you keep an open mind find out that somebody wearing a trench coat might actually be a another square peg inside and all of a sudden you're like oh shit like there's two of us now there's three of us like like and i think the more open you are and the more that happens and the more you stay open the more cool people you get and i think that like other places that try to be exclusive about that miss the whole point. And it's easy to all of a sudden go like, oh, well, we're just gamers we, we, or, or, we're just- or even like, oh, we picked our society and we're all closed now. So mm-hmm. we can't have you like, you know, Meltdown has had probably 10 generations of interns. And mm-hmm. I love every single one mm-hmm. of them because they're part of the family, you know, and there's something about them that brought them there. There's something the same way when I meet a comic. I'm like, OK, we probably are going to base level get along. Yeah. Like unless you're a real asshole or narcissist, like we're probably going to have a good time. And I think that it's the same thing with Meltdown. It's just like, just be open and be cool to other people. And it's amazing when you're cool to other people, how they're cool to you. Thank you so much. And thank you both for being on here. Where can the people find you? I'm at Kyle Clark is Rad on the Twitter and the Instagram. I'm at Natalie Hazen. And then uh, we have a podcast called This Is Rad that you were just a guest on mere hours ago. It's very rad and you should all absolutely uh, check it and out. And they can check that out on wherever you get podcasts and at This Is Rad Pod. And then... Uh, we have a cool YouTube channel where we make movies as couples, uh, as a couple. Make it and, just sound awful. <laughs> right. Uh, but they're full of uh, werewolf dick puppets. Yeah, and, there we and, go. Uh, evil chefs that rub raw meat on Brian Cox. We changed the wall after you we shaved a You can see shirtless Kevin on there. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, we got to throw and you in Halo something. Tattoo. We really want to. We got uh, uh, Natalie and Kevin in their underwear be- whipping Brian Cox <laughs> chained to a wall. And I think we can all agree that's something everyone should support. <laughs> So please support uh, Half Naked Kevin hitting Brian and knocking the pennies out of his belly. Uh, go be rad and open-minded people. Kevin brought t- like the catchphrase of the show. I'm to so that proud sketch. of him. He he for whatever reason like he just had a plate full of sauce and bones because he didn't wait and just ate his props, and so he was just <laughs> rubbing the bones and the sauce. And just when it came time to shoot his cover, he's like has to think fast because he doesn't want to admit that he ate all his props the second they were handed to him. So he's like, I just like the sauce and the bone. I could suck this sauce bone all day. And like that became literally the, the thing everybody said the rest of the day was just sauce bone. Like when I they're, didn't know he ate his props. I'm yeah, him we, so we gave him, we, everybody we gave him a plate full of food and he just wolfed it We down. made the mistake of giving comedians food. Like the minute, bef- <laughs> like because like, like, we, we gave everybody food and then we're getting the shot set up and everybody else is like eating but like he is literally like licking his plate clean <laughs> it was like but without that we wouldn't have sauce bone and that was that's literally like my favorite thing of this oh year it was God. just him the best improv skills i've ever seen because it went from oops i ate all my food to like i'm gonna have the line of this guy <laughs> improv your own sauce bone and take a walk sometime yeah <laughs>